You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning, Village Church and guests. I'm going to be reading today's focal passage from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Feel free to follow along on the screens or your Bibles. Starting at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day to those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You can now have a seat, and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. If you just started hanging out with us in the last couple weeks, you might not know that, but I'm the one that you're stuck with doing this more often than not, so thanks for hanging out with us. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in here. Father, thanks so much for the gift of... Uh, the gathered church and letting us sing and pray together as one united in Christ. God, would you give us eyes and ears um, to see and hear who you are today that we might um, submit ourselves to to the truth that we learn about who you are and your goodness and your grace. God, that you might invite us in to have uh, a particular type of fellowship with you where we get to boldly come to you, and we get to pray to the creator of the universe, not just in special times, not just when we're gathered together like this, but because of the work of your son Jesus all the time, and you encourage us to do that, that that you encourage us to pray without ever stopping, that that would be today the background of the thought that, that carries everything that we do, that we might be people devoted to dependence in prayer, because you were first devoted to us. We love you, and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's this guy, his name is Nate Bargatze, and he is a comedian, and dude, like you should leave right now and just go listen to him, because he's so funny. Don't do that, I'm just kidding. Dude is hilarious. He's got a couple things on Netflix. Um, One of the bits that he does, and it's like clean, right, fun for the whole family. We watch it with our family. I think that's fair. Uh, I think so. Um, our family's a little older, but they're okay. It's pretty clean. So he does this bit about this movie called The Sixth Sense, and, and he prefaces, like, I'm going to give a spoiler in just a second, but, like, the movie is 22 years old. So, like, if today was the day, like, by all means, you know, excuse yourself. But he talks about uh, the, this movie, The Sixth Sense, and it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie, which means it's got, like, a twist, a dramatic twist in there, right? And And... The, the premise is there's this guy who looks just like the guy in Die Hard, right? 
And he is a, a child psychi- psychiatrist or whatever, and he's, like, interacting with this kid and, and coming to find out this kid, like, he, this kid can see dead people, right? And so the guy's having some marital problems, like, the whole movie, and you're kind of walking along, and then, like, come to find out, and this is the big spoiler, like, the guy himself is dead, right? And as Nate Bargatze says, like, did they give us any tip to this? Like, well, yeah, he was shot in the, the opening scene of the movie. The guy gets shot. And then, like, it just it, it makes so much sense. Now that I've spoiled that for you, it changes everything. But what Nate Bargatze says, he says, man, we're, like, walking along with this guy. And he's like, marriage is tough. You know, he's like, I thought this was a movie about marriage. Because no one knows that the guy's dead except for the little boy. And, and all we see is him interacting with his wife for, like, a year but we didn't know that she couldn't see him. And he's like, oh, man, I just thought this was like, yeah, I've been there, bro. Like, that's, marriage is hard, you know? And so that's crazy, of course, because, like, communication is everything within any relationship. Like, certainly within marriage, but within families and, and even teammates and coworkers and all the things. It's pretty important that we communicate. Yet, we consider it normal to interact with God little if at all. And most faithful, grace-fueled, spirit-sealed disciples of Jesus would acknowledge God probably, at least if you ask them, like, what's the most important thing in your life? Well, oh gosh, it's, it's the Lord. It's my relationship with God. Most people would say that, right? That, that God is the most important. And at the same time, we would consider it okay not to talk with him. And, and I know what you're saying. You're like, well, Michael, I wouldn't say that. Well, here's the thing. Like, n- no one would, would say that. But like with most things in life, we say what we really believe by how we live. Today we're talking about prayer. And I suspect that in hearing that, you expect a sermon on prayer to be mostly convicting and me telling you what you already know, that you don't pray enough, and that probably says something about your relationship with God, or you don't pray in the right way, or, or there's something amiss about the way that you interact with God. And, and as an encouragement to you on the front end, I, I have the same fear. Like, I'm sitting with you in this. I'm, I'm sitting under the same book with you today, and, and I know men and women who are devout and deeply connected and committed and, and deeply engaging in prayer. And the reality is, for, for most of the seasons of my life, that's not been me. Right? That's not okay. And it's not that I can't look at my life and acknowledge, like, the grace and the growth that God has invited me into and the way that I interact with Him. But, but I, I share that to say I'm sitting with you in that. But that doesn't mean that that has to be the way that we interact with God the way forward. And so I'm inviting us into, man, a, a, a deeper understanding and, and a deeper devotion to praying together as God's people. Um, J.C. Ryle, he, he says it this way. He says, tell me what a man's prayers are, and I will soon tell you the state of his soul. Right? And, and my hope is that, that we aren't just beat up today, but although hearing that is like, you know, like twisting dagger. But my hope is that we're not just beat up today, but that we would see the invitation um, and, and delight and hope and grace in our prayers. Um, the church shows its heart and its hope by the way that it prays, right? The church shows its heart 
and its hope by the way that it prays. And, and whether we pray or whether we don't pray, that is a huge revealer. And, and the things that we pray about, a huge revealer. What we pray reveals and declares what's most important. And I've heard many things described this way, but, but prayer is literally like a thermostat and a thermometer. It's like a thermometer in the sense that it reveals kind of the temperature of our life and our interaction with God. We can read it and we can just evaluate our, the way that we pray and we can look and we can say, wow, like it's, it's hot or it's cold. Like I'm devoted or I'm distant. But at the same time, when we set a thermostat, that's, that's what, that's what uh, increases the room or decreases the temperature of the room. And so as we pray, we get to be devoted to actually control what that looks like by the way that we engage in prayer. Um, what is prayer? Ask 100 people, you get 101 answers. What is prayer? My guess is something would, some people would say, well, it's, it's talking with God. And some people would say, no, it's talking to God. God. And some people might say it's asking God for stuff. And there's probably a million different things. A guy called uh, Gary Miller in his book, uh, Calling on the Name of the Lord, A Biblical Theology of Prayer, he defines it this way. He says, prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise. Now that's not the way I would have framed this, right? Prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise or his promises. Um, a helpful clarity is uh, in that little nine, nine marks book on prayer. He, he, talks, about, um, he talks about this, and, and he says, when Jesus tells us prayer, you know, he shows us the, 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 the way that we ought to pray, and he says, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says, what that is is, is like a, a child that's going to a fair and and the dad has promised him ice cream. And as he's walking around the fair, he's like, hey, daddy, like, when are we getting ice cream? Like, but, but you promised. Like, you, you promised that we're getting ice cream. Yeah, I know. I know, son. We'll get there, and, and we want to do some other things. And, but finally, they, they get ice cream. And, and he says, that's what Jesus is calling us to pray. Like, God, w- would, you, would you let it be done on earth, what, what's already done in heaven? Would you let it come to pass, what you've already declared that would come to pass? And that's not so much for the dad that he remembers that he promised Right? Although that might be the case for, for some of us dads. But, that, but that's not for, dad, for, for God to remember. That's so that we remember the promises that our Father has made to us. Right? So we are three weeks into exploring some kind of pillar devotions of the early church. And there will be a couple more. All of these are anchored in Acts chapter 2. That's why we've read the same focal passage for, for the last three weeks, and we will for the next couple weeks. But as you turn there to Acts chapter 2, I also want you to find Ephesians chapter 3, which is where we're going to hang out for most of the day, morning, you know, or, or day. We'll see what happens. Um, in Acts chapter 2, we see this as we read the, the focal passage. Um, we, we see this kind of, uh, as Scott talked about last week, this snapshot of the beauty. It's like, this is like Instagram photo of what the church ought to look like, and it doesn't always look like that. But in this, we see the beauty, um, and, it's, and it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and prayers. 
right? And, and out of the flow of that, all came upon them, and, and God began to do mighty things to the apostles, and, and they believed, and they were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling stuff, and they were, they were putting their proceeds together, and they were helping those that were in need, and day by day, God continued his mission as they met together in homes and in the temple. They broke bread. They prayed. They, they shared life together, and, and God increased their numbers day by day. Like, what a what a beautiful thing. And so we're just teasing out some of these things. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Pastor Matt talked about a couple weeks ago. And, and to fellowship, Pastor Scott talked about uh, last week. And, and then the, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And what we see in, in that, the breaking of bread kind of bridges this idea of, of community among God's people. Because we get to, like, break bread together. That's part of living life together. And, and also with God through communion. We share life together through meals together as God's family. And we share a meal breaking the bread and the cup of Christ's body together in communion with God. So what does it mean to be a community that's devoted to prayer? Prayer should, should feel like breathing Right? It typically is, is a good thing. It, it's something that happens when we're not even thinking about it. Uh, it. It should be more like breathing than putting together IKEA furniture. But, man, it's so easy to get caught up in stuff and to, to overcomplicate. You know, I'm like really good at overcomplicating things. Right? And so we've all been there. And my prayer is that, that we would adjust our perspective on prayer from, from this from it being a, a mere spiritual discipline. And the church talks about spiritual disciplines like this, like Bible reading and praying and fasting. But when we think of the word discipline, it's like always about doing something that we don't really want to do, but it's like good for us. And so there is part of that. And, and I say, like, read your Bible when you don't want to read your Bible and pray when you don't want to pray. That's the discipline piece. But man... Like, my prayer this week has, has been that, that God would allow us to be a community, that, that, that prayer is not merely a spiritual discipline, but it's a spiritual delight, that in time, we would be people who, who run to the Lord in prayer, not just because we have to, because we know that we should, but because we can't wait to talk to our Father. Prayer is an opportunity to invite the creator of, of all that is into our perspective on his world. Everything is the Lord's. You're not telling him anything ever. You're not asking. You're not conveying anything that he's not already keenly aware of. And yet, we're called time and time again to open our mouths and our hearts and our lives upward and invite him into our perspective on his world. And it can look a thousand ways, and it can span a range of human emotion uh, and, and relationship all over the place. Maybe one point to start would be in James chapter 5, we read this, is, is anyone among you suffering? My, my, my guess is today that some of you would say, yes, right? And, and if not you, then you know someone suffering. So what does it say? Is, is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. But on the flip of that, is anyone cheerful? Let them sing 
praise. So we get this whole span, prayer with intent to, to worship, usually through singing or an outward expression, praise, right? It's, it's a thinks, uh, we're thanking God for things, through, through song or, or through reflection or, or other ways. And so is, it, is anyone suffering? Let them pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let them pray with, with song. The whole span. Or, or we see in Romans chapter 12, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And what we get to do is we get to bring our petitions and our praises and we get to let those things frame our minds in the way that we interact with one another and the way that we interact with ourselves. So I could give 1,000 examples from Scripture uh, or I could teach through the Lord's Prayer or I could give you a dozen Spurgeon quotes. And I, and I might today, right? Um, about prayer, or I could talk through my prayer patterns or your own prayer patterns, but, but I just I want to preach through one of Paul's prayers and, and hit on the depth of and the core of what prayer can be, and then we'll hit on some like nuts and bolts stuff in terms of application at the end. So, so we're just going to look at uh, one of Paul's prayers in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 is where we're hanging out. So he says this, chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. If you're reading that, you know what you get to say? You get to read that and you get to say, for what reason? Right? That, that's how the Bible works. Right, And so for what reason? And if we look up just a little tiny bit, just if, if we just look at the verse prior, so I ask you, in verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So we can see that Paul is clearly suffering for the church in some way. So he says, for this reason, I, I, I ask you, right, not to lose heart over what I'm suffering. I bow my knees before the Father. Or like, hallowed be your name. <clears throat> the Father who names every family in heaven and on earth. Right? He says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He, he's saying, uh, whose presence and reach is beyond imagination. And in context, we know that Paul is talking about Jew and Gentile. So what Paul is telling us in this simple prayer that's like rich and robust is, is I'm, I'm coming here for this reason, I bow before God, right? The God who, who is over every family on earth, Jew and Gentile, the religious and the irreligious, those that get it right and those that are train wrecks. All of you, God is Father over all. And then he tells us a couple things that I want to boil down into three points. And the, and the first one is this. I, I pray that, one, your life would be centered on Christ. And he says it a little more, uh, with, with more words, and this is what it looks like. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. And we'll get to the rest in a minute. So he says that God may grant you strength power through the spirit in your inner core, the depth, the center of you are that Christ would dwell in your heart, your inner being, your will, your intellect through faith. Why would Paul pray that? What is he aiming at? What is he prioritizing? 
What is he depending upon the Lord for? What is he petitioning God for? His prayer is for them. uh, It's the most foundational, core-shaping reality that anyone can pray for yourself or for your neighbor. He's praying that Christ would be the power and the center of their life. By the Spirit, through their faith. That, That every single thing in life would merely flow from the core of our aim, our heart, our devotion. That, that they could suffer and sustain, and that they could survive, and, and, and they could even thrive by God's presence at the center of who they are. That the Spirit would do supernatural work to center their lives on Jesus now and forever. When we start there, when the way that we think about prayer, it sets the table for every other meal Paul doesn't pray that they, they would like uh, that they would love their career. Right? He, he doesn't pray that they would get that promotion. He doesn't pray that they'll be the best version of themselves. He doesn't pray that they'll be happy and healthy and rich. And what we see when we look at all the prayer in Scripture, like not, not much of it looks like that. Is it okay to pray about those things? It's absolutely okay. We're to take all of our worry and all of our angst and all of our toil and all of of the celebrations, all of the highs and lows, and we get to cast them on the Lord. But but Paul is anchoring us today in a little bit of a deeper thought. He prays that God would be at the center, that the Spirit would be the nucleus of their life, individually and together, that Christ would be the foundation. Like, have you ever tried to make a snowman? And, and I'm guessing that no one starts by just collecting snow and sweeping it together and, and maybe trying to, to shape it a little bit because what, what that's going to look like, it's going to look like a pile of snow, that, not a man of snow. Every man of snow has, has three parts or maybe two, right? But what do we do when we make a snowman, right? You, you take some snow and you pack it and you sculpt it, and you shape it, and you get it to look like what the the bigger thing is going to look like, and you make sure that it's tight, and then what do you do? You begin to roll, and it it gets bigger, and and all the while you're compressing it, packing it together, making it as tight as it can be until it gets to to the size that you want it to be, and then you do that again, and you put the other one on top. Like, this is what Paul is saying. If if they're squared on the front end of this, if, if they begin to devote themselves and build their life around Jesus in their heart at the core of who they are, then all the other stuff will be held together by him, which is what we see Jesus does. He holds all things together. And that's not just some like uh, theory of gravity and, and DNA strands. That's, that's your life. He holds your life together. So Paul's prayer is that that Jesus would be the core, the center of who they are. And, and what we see, the, the gospel, the good news is that, that we get to pray uh, that our life would be centered on Jesus by the Spirit and in power. And, and Jesus shows us how to do that. Jesus teaches us about prayer. He, he gives us a model prayer to look at. And, and, he, and, he, and he models prayer time and time again. He shows us devotion and dependency to the Father through prayer. Like this is Jesus, the Son of God, one with the Spirit and one with the Father. 
for, for all eternity past and all eternity future. He takes time to sneak away into gardens in the early morning and spend time with God. He models for us. But, but not only does he teach and model, but, but he is the reason that we can pray. right? And not just pray, but boldly come before the throne of God. He is the reason that we can do that. He breaks down the barrier of, of our sin and he clothes us in righteousness so that we might stand before the burning, wat, uh, burning uh, hot, white glory of God. Boldly. Not arrogantly, but confidently coming to God because Jesus invites us into that life that we don't have in ourselves. He's, he, he teaches us. He is the model. He is the reason. He's the power. He intervenes by his life and his death. And he intercedes on our behalf, even right now, Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, petitioning the Father on our behalf. Father, they are yours, and they are clean. Not by what they do, not by their own righteousness, but by mine that I gave them. The second thing he says, he says, I, I pray that you would comprehend the expanse of God's love. And he, and he goes through in, in kind of the end of 17 and 19, he says, um, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love, right? Rooted and grounded to uh, one kind of agricultural and one architecture term, rooted, seed, Roots hold the thing together. Anything that comes from that, the vine, the fruit, it all comes from that root. Architecture, that you would be grounded, that, that the foundation would be sure, and everything that you build on is, is in the love of God. So he says rooted and grounded, and he says that you would comprehend with, with all the saints, the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We skim over that. That surpasses knowledge. That you would know the love of Christ that you can't understand. It's so great. It's so vast. It's beyond comprehension that you may be filled with the fullness of God. We just got back from vacation in Michigan. And we're in Upper Peninsula all the way at the top, right? Like, hey, Canada. Like, all the way up there. And... We're on a river where we stay. It's the St. Mary's River, and it's like you can't throw a stone across this river. It's like really wide, right? And uh, it connects two of the Great Lakes together. Um, which one's Superior and Huron? <laughs> and uh, it, it's huge, right? Um, and so right in front of us, there are these 1,000-foot freighter ships that just go through this channel that they, they dig out or whatever, um, and these things are massive. And you can like be on a boat or a jet ski or a tube or skis or whatever, like right next to them. Like you can, you can like touch them. And you're pretty safe if you're in the water. Uh, if you're on the shore, <laughs> like uh, they suck in a whole lot of water when they come in and, and they push a whole lot of water out. And so it's really cool and alarming all at the same time if you're on the, the shore. But uh, these things are, are giant, right? And, and for some, they're really cool. And for some, they might even be a little scary. Huh? Um, and so 
we're out there, and we, you see these things, and, and so on the way home, we drive over the, the Mackinac Bridge, and this thing is huge, and like vast water left to right, um, and you see, we saw this time, one of those ships out there in the water, and it looked tiny, like this ginormous thing, that when you're up close, you're like, this thing is huge, in the vastness of of the waters, it, it just looked tiny. So much that I think it was in the 70s, one called the Edmund Fitzgerald. It, it uh, met its doom in a storm and it sank like 500 feet. It's still there because no one can get it. Like that's how great this water is. That this ship just disappeared and sank and, and so it is because the water is so great. So the connection to be made in all of that is that, that when we forget how big the water is, like oceans wide, then other things seem large. They seem gigantic, like immovable even. And, and when we're reminded of the expanse of, of the water, even huge things shrink. Paul's prayer is that, that they may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the, the length and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's love is impossibly, inconceivably big. Those ships that I was telling you about, uh, a half a football field bigger than the Titanic, And, and those great lakes, nothing compared to the, the extent of the ocean, right? The ocean is far more vast than, than the great lakes, and, and the earth is just a speck, and, and, and solar systems, and galaxies, and the universe, all of it. It's a sliver of space in the expanse of God and His story. God's love surpasses knowledge of the depths of space and time. And yet, when we talk about love... Love is a wildly popular idea. Like, it's like, it's like a good thing to love, right? Just ask anyone, right? And, and then if you ask them what love means, you might get confused. Like, the, the definitions of love are as numerous as the stars. In fact, I had a recent conversation with my wife. Hey, Kim. Um, and, and we were just talking about it and, and the way people project love. And, and she said something along the lines of like, man, people who like raise the flag of love sure are filled with a lot of hate. And to be fair, the same has been and can be said of the church. Like we've, historically, we've not done the best job at loving well. Uh, there's always the, the, like the, the two ends of the rope, like truth and love. But, but in, in Christ, it's not one or the other. It, it is both, right? But, but when we, when God's people, when, when we know love, when we know its breadth, its length, its height, its depth, then, then we get to put the author of love on display. And God is not, he's not confined to reflect the world's definition of love because that's always changing, what it looks like today will look different next week. It's look different than a month ago. But, 
But so, so God is not confined to reflect the world's definition of love. God is love. And any true love flows from his existence, period. And, and maybe you find yourself here today and, and you're confused because in your lens, the church has lost its love. And certain like movements have filled the vacuum or, or parties or people have filled the vacuum where, where the church has lost that. Um, in her book, uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, in her book, Secular Creed, she engages like some contemporary truths. And, and one of them she's talking about is, is the idea of like Black Lives Matter. And she's like trying to help the church have some handles on like what that is and what that's not. And uh, me saying that, like heart rate's probably increasing all around here, right? For the good, and oh yes, and for the bad, and all kinds of spaces in between. But what she says is, she says, in 1776, the Declaration of Independence proclaimed, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, right? So she's she's couching that equality in in love, and and she says, but but human equality is is not self-evident at all. And she quotes a, a non-Christian uh, Israeli historian, and this is what he says. He says, the Americans got the idea of, of equality from Christianity, which argues that every person has a divinely created soul and that all souls are equal before God. However, if we do not believe in the Christian, this is what he says, myths about God, creation and souls, what, is it, what does it mean that all people are equal? So what happens is, is love that opens up its, its borders to those in the margins of society is a Christian ideology which has been accepted by the world, not the other way around. And so this is true in lots of cultural issues, which we don't have time to talk about today, but the way that, that God's love uh, upends a society throughout throughout history has been oh it's it's uh too much this way or too much this way but god is the one that that doesn't change christian love and acceptance is a progressive love but it isn't politically progressive it it isn't a hijacking a movement it's progressive in that it never ceases god's love never ceases. That, that doesn't mean that it's so misused or misunderstood that it loses its power, but it continually advances. It's love that divides and draws lines when necessary so that genuine God-birth truth and love marches on. And we know this because we are shown this love. God showed up And he lived love incomprehensible. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge is to comprehend the depth of God's love that he laid down his life to give us life. That we were were on the outside and he invited us in. That's what Jesus does. That that we were outside of forgiveness and by his life we are forgiven. That that the promise of our future uh, with God and his people is sure because of this love. So here's the question. What does this have to do with with life together, prayer as a mark of gospel community? See, Paul prays that Christ would be their center and that God's love would be 
their power. And we have all freedom to pray for, for anything that we would be inclined to pray for in this life. But hear this. To the extent that we anchor our prayer in kingdom realities, kingdom promises, kingdom fulfillments, Christ as servant and king is the extent that we overcome suffering, that we overcome uh, that, that we harness hope which seems out of grasp, that we find comfort in a world that, that does its best to eliminate that from our lives, to anchor all prayers in the depth of God's love is a good, is a good practice and first step to, to be a praying community. The last thing that we see, as Paul kind of like closes out with, with a little bit of a, a blessing word in this prayer, Paul says, I pray that you would see that God is up to bigger things than we can imagine. I have a lot of problems and obstacles when it comes to praying. This is one of the biggest. That I, I just forget that God is up to stuff so much bigger than, than what started on my to-do list today. When I forget that God is up to big things, gosh, it, it is a hindrance for the way that I pray. And so we read in verse 20, this is what Paul's saying. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, How encouraging is that? To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Not just today, not just in this city, not just in this county or state or nation not just throughout this world today, but for all time, backwards and forwards, everywhere that people have ever been, God is up to stuff. The, the vastness of God's immense love is a, is a gateway to the gigantic nature of, of his movement and his mission of his love and of his care, of his truth as a compass for life and suffering and in celebrating and trial and defeat and, and in success and victory. At face value, we look at this text and we look at Paul's heart for the church. It, it, it can take us places, but when we zoom out, we see the current moving his heart and the lives of these people and, and the prayers and the hopes under these bold prayers. What, what I want us to see is the church shows its heart and hope by the way that it prays. Paul prays all, all types of prayers. But, but when you look at this one, is, is this a reflection of the way that you think about prayer? Or, or are we praying for things that are much more on the surface Prayer is a window into, into our heart. Prayer reveals dependence. How big is our faith? Prayer declares allegiance. 
How big is our God? Prayer reveals and it declares. In just a few minutes, we're going to reflect. What does prayer reveal about our dependence? How big is our faith? What, what does it declare about our allegiance? How big is our God? And, and maybe today you hoped for like a, a golden ticket, uh, a magic prayer formula. And I wish I could give you one of those, right? I, I, I searched for one actually this week. Um, Maybe you were like, man, if, if he could just give me a list of obstacles and, and how to overcome those and, and be a, a praying you know, person or a praying community, I, I want that. And sometimes I get stuck and I struggle with how and what to pray. But the best that I can come up with is some helpful thoughts, right? right? Prayer is praises and petitions of God's presence, provision, and pardon. And there are more P's. You can throw lots more P's in there if you want. But I think all these make sense, right? I did not, just to get the letter P up there, I did, I did not o overtake alliteration at the expense of something that actually means something. Prayers, petitions, and praises. Just start there. We could ask God for stuff. You really do. He invites us to do that. And we get to thank God for stuff. It's pretty simple. Like, when the best thing that's ever happened to you in your life, you're celebrating, high-fiving, man, I, I want to be a person who, whatever's going on in the room, my heart is crying out with thanks. God, thank you. The worst thing that's ever happened. I want to be someone that, what, whatever's going on in the moment, God, would you, would you be my strength? Would, would you let my life, my heart and the center of who I am be built on Jesus? Would, would you let me understand the, the depth of your love and all of its ways? Presence, provision, pardon, or lots of other things that we see, but God... That, that you would be near. I know you're near. I know you promised that you're near. You're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. God, I get to thank you for that, and I get to ask you for that. Provision. God, you said you're going to care for us. God, are you, are you caring for me right now? Pardon. Not on my terms, but yours. God, I can't. I don't have anything that would allow me to, to even talk to you. But you being rich in mercy because of your steadfast love to me, would you forgive me? Here's the formula. Seek first the kingdom of God. Be because the king first sought you. I, I could give you how-tos and long list of things to do. Seek first the kingdom. Cultivate that in your heart, in your mind. Seek it. Know him. Seek the king and his kingdom and all that he offers. And I dare you, if you do that, 
to, to not grow as a person of prayer. Seek first the kingdom because, because he first sought you. That's what he has done. In, in our planning, seek first the kingdom. If, if you're planning what you're going to have for dinner today, seek, seek first the kingdom. If you're planning uh, what state you're going to live in, seek first the kingdom. What church you're going to gather with, seek first the kingdom. The big things, the little things. Should I marry this person? Have kids? What if I don't? All the, th- the planning of all things, seek first the kingdom. And not just in the planning, but in the responding. When things happen that are out of your control, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the king because he first sought you. Seek God and, and his kingdom first and let him sort your heart. And let him sort out all the things that you can or cannot control. The band could come up. Five quick, quick helps, right? For you who have to have a list. Pray. Stop overthinking it. Just pray. When, where, what? When, when and where and what? Just, just do it. Just pray. Pray the scriptures. It's something that's been like medicine to my soul that, that in the morning I, I, I read a chapter of the Bible and then I, I read it again, but I read it as a prayer. Like, it, it helps me pray God's word. Like, I just read it. And if it's talking about a righteous person, I say, God, would you make me like that? And if it's talking about someone that's, that's wayward or, or Israel sinning or whatever, God, would you, would you like, uh, forgive me for where my heart wanders, but would you draw me? Just, just read and, and pray. Pray humbly because there is no other way to pray. We get to pray in the name of Jesus as our only hope to stand before God. Pray honestly. All right? You can read the Psalms and you'll find out this, that God can handle your wide range of emotions, and he wants to. Pray together. Man, may the village church be known as a people who pray together, right? For, for family, for friends, when, when we're gathered in community group, when, when we're gathered corporately, right? As we have a people available, I would love to say Angie Dickin, who leads the prayer team, like we just need more people available to pray at the end of each gathering because there's too much prayer going on. Let's pray. Take advantage of that. Even today, as I walk through the band, they're practicing, setting up stuff, praying together, Kville praying together, a couple people over there praying together, like just the sweetest thing. Let us be a people who, who don't uh, shy away from those things, but press into those things. The church shows its heart and its hope by the way that it prays. And so today as we, as we reflect and repent and respond, man, we, we, get to, we get to pray right where you are. You get to stand up and, and sing praises. You can pray at the prayer bench over there. You can pray with me or my wife back there. We would love to pray with you or, or someone that's over by that red tree. We would love to bear any burden that you have, right? For those who are in Christ, remember and declare what's already been done. The, the promise that God has made, the, the bread that, that he gave us in his body that was broken and, and, and the cup that reminds us of, of the blood that was spilled, that we might be his. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you invite us into sweet communion with you. That we get to interact with and we get to know you and we get to, 
to plead with and, and call upon and lean into and celebrate with. God, would you, would you let us not leave you out of all of those things in our life? God, we thank you. You are good. Would you let us know the promises that you make for us, and would you let us believe them? God, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.